0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, it's good that we get to gather today and to be together uh, in this place. But before we begin, um, I want to just pause right now and, uh, and just acknowledge something that I know that is heavy on a lot of people's minds and hearts, especially uh, after this past week. Um, Sunday afternoon, I was sitting in a meeting with our, with our shepherds, and we were talking and praying and uh, doing things that we do in those meetings, When all of a sudden, the news comes across the wire that... There's been yet another mass shooting, and this time in a church here in Texas. And, uh, and man, it seems like, I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time. Uh, here's something else that's happened, something else that's gone wrong, something else that's unbelievable, something else that's taking place, and this time it's not too far from home for us. And in just a moment, I want us to just, to just to start by praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in Sutherland Springs, and for the church there, and for their families, and for all those affected. Um... But I also want to let you know that uh, just so you know, because uh, some of you may not know, uh, we, we do have a safety team here at Riverside that, uh, that, that serves um, every week this church in that way uh, to keep us safe to keep our kids safe and that's a high priority for our leadership and of course, after a week like this, just so you know, uh, conversations with them and with our leadership have, 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 have you know been going on and, and even with our we've got a great relationship with our, our local police department here and uh, they've been extremely helpful and kind and gracious uh, to us as well so I want you to know that that's going on and that, that we take your safety and the safety of our children um, very seriously at the same time you know, we believe uh, in Jesus, and we believe in resurrection and we believe in hope that transcends anything this world can understand we believe in a peace that passes understanding and we believe in we believe in God and so we believe in a hope that is unlike anything this world uh, could offer. And so when we pray in just a moment, we pray with that faith, and we pray with that hope, and we pray with that belief, and we pray with that knowledge that, that there is more going on uh, than meets the eye, uh, that our God is at work, that he is faithful, that, yes, we live in a world that's terribly broken, but one day Jesus is coming, and he's going to make all things right, and he's going to make all things new. And this is the hope that we have. And to a large degree, I, I believe this is why we're here, church. Uh, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, but this is, this is why we're here. We're here to share this hope that we have. Uh, so if you would, let's just take a moment and let's, let's join together in prayer, and then we'll, we'll go from there. But let's, let's pray. God, you are good, and your love endures forever. And uh, this morning we want to pause like we have so many times before. We just want to lift up uh, those who are hurting today. God, you're fully aware of what's going on in this dark world, and you know, God, you know so much more than we do what's happening, not only in our state or in our country, but around the world, lives that are taken, lives that are lost, the darkness in this world, the evil that's at work. But, God, we have faith that because of Jesus we are more than conquerors. We have faith that we believe in the one who has overcome the grave. We have faith that one day you are coming and you will make all things right and all things new. And so it's with that faith and that hope that we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ today who have lost people that they love. Uh, We even pray, and the world doesn't understand this, but we pray for the one who committed the crime because he too was created in the image of God and his family I know is hurting today. God, we pray uh, that you would enter into another dark moment and somehow let the light of Jesus uh, break in and break through. God it's our prayer today and we know we know that when we weep you weep, when we cry, you cry we know when we hurt, you hurt as any father does and we thank you that we have a God that understands everything we've gone through because Jesus walked the planet and we have a God who has promised that he is with us so be with us now we pray through Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I pray that God... Oh, man. Yeah. Well, today, I'm going to try to transition. Today, we're continuing a series um, called Your Table is Ready. And this series is about uh, something that we do here at Riverside every week. It's about communion. It's about... The Lord's Supper, Man, I don't know what you called it in the church you grew up at, maybe you called it the communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, uh, literally the thank you meal or the mass or maybe you grew up at a church that did this on occasion or every week or you had friends that went to a church that did this on occasion or every week and, and if you're like a lot of people or maybe you walked in here today and, and, and you're wondering because maybe you just didn't do the church thing and you don't know what it's all about, you're like, why? Like, why do y'all do that? That's weird, you know? I remember the first Sunday I preached here, we had someone come who had been a, who, is, who is a person of faith but had not been at a, at a church like this before, and he came in, and he was surprised, and he was looking around, like, trying to figure out, what am I doing? What are they doing? What Do I do this? Do I not do this? What's going on? And sometimes a lot of us who are here every week, we take it for granted that we know why we do it, and maybe we do, maybe we don't. But I, I'll tell you this, people that don't, there's a lot of confusion around that. You know, what what is this all about, and why do we do it? And so... You know, last week we we started with that question: Why do we why do we gather at the table, and why do we take a piece of a small piece of bread and a little bit of juice, and and take a moment every week to remember Jesus in that way? And we said, well, we do it primarily to remember what matters most. And I love what what Taylor, who was here last week, and Drew and Carolyn, as they sat at the table, shared with us that. We do it to remind ourselves to remember that, that Jesus says that, that you are welcome at this table and you belong at this table and you are loved at this table, that, that the table of Jesus despite what you may think Jesus says as your host, you are welcome you are loved, you belong you're forgiven, that this is a place where you can come back to to remind yourself every week that you are loved by God that's why we gather, I, I, I love that language but but, but why we gather is important, but I think another important question is not just why we gather, but what we say. What, what do we say at the table? What do we say when we gather? What, what are the words that we use to, to put around this, and, and what do we say that matters? I don't know if you're like me. Have you, ever, have you ever been texting more than one person at once? You know where I'm going with this? And you sent a text that was meant for one person to a different person on accident? Anybody done this before? I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. Has that ever gone poorly for someone? I'll raise my hand really high. <laughs> Are there people that won't talk to you because of what you said? Yeah. 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 What you say matters, right? You get this, you know? Or maybe maybe you were talking and, and you meant to say one thing, but it came out different than you expected, or, or have you ever done this? You said something in a moment of frustration and angst and anger and you said something about someone to someone else only to realize the person you were talking about was right behind you. You ever done that? And you turned and you saw they were hurt and you're like, oh, and it crushed you because you meant it but you didn't mean it and it's not the way you intended it. Yeah, what we say, what we say matters. I remember... Uh, I I used to take a lot of trips to Mexico, Ensenada, still love that place, and we we had taken a group down on a mission trip down there, and and on sort of one of the last days, we take the group to Ensenada to to eat uh, and to do a little shopping. It's a, it's a port city for the cruise ships there. So there's a strip where there's lots of restaurants and great shopping. And, and all the adults decided we're going to go to this restaurant called Mango Mango, a really nice restaurant, I mean, you know, for that area. And they've got a nice covered outdoor place where you can eat. And so we go in, tell the hostess, yeah, we, we'd like a table for, I don't know, 12, 15, however many adults we had. A few minutes later, the hostess comes out and says, Your table is ready, follow me. We go inside, weave around to this outdoor area, seating area, just beautiful, right there, and they bring us the menus and our waters, and they get ready to serve us some food, and meanwhile, this, this local man is walking the street, and he sees us at the table, because, I mean, you can see people right there, and, and, and he's selling flowers, and so he comes up, he sees all these gringos, all these Americanos, and he's like, hey, you want to buy a flower for the lovely ladies, you know, and his broken English, and really making us feel guilty that we weren't, like, jumping on this opportunity, and so some guys did, you know, they, they went over and they bought a flower and gave it to their, you know, wife or some of the girls that were sitting there to be, be sweet. But this one guy, I'll call him John to protect his identity in case he listens to this later. Uh, he, He had no interest in buying a flower. And he's a great guy, but he just did not want a flower. But this guy was persistent. And like he's coming by, you know, two times, three times, five times, walks, circles. You want to buy a flower? And he's like, no, no, no. And what you need to know about John is that John does not know any Spanish. But he believes that if you put the word L at the beginning of a word or the word O at the beginning of another word, then you can speak Spanish. And so if I told John, one of our adults, to to get the group ready to load the bus, he might tell uh, El Grupo to get ready for the buso that's going to leave in ten minutos or something like that. And that was, in his mind, that was Spanish, and of course it wasn't, but everybody would laugh, and that's how he spoke Spanish. Well, you could see his temperature just was rising as he's getting annoyed with this local man who's trying to sell us flowers for our ladies, and, and, and he's about to blow a gasket, and finally, like, after the 20th time, this guy comes by and says, you want to buy a flower? And he just screams, El, no! <laughs> that did not come out Right? <laughs> You'll be happy to know he's an elder in the church now. <sighs> yeah, sometimes we say things and they don't come out the way we mean them, right? And we do this. We've all done this. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes sometimes we do damage. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to back up and we have to retrace our steps and go apologize and say we're sorry and try to fix what we broke with our words because what we say matters. Our words matter, and I really believe that what we say at the table matters. Like the words we use and the language we speak around this moment, it really matters. I grew up in a church like maybe some of you grew up. And we were told the words that were put around the table when I grew up and, and, and I love this church. I still go back to this church. I go home to this church. This church is near and dear to my heart. but what we said growing up at the table was, "Sit still and be quiet." And think about what you've done. And this moment that I, I think is supposed to make us feel the grace and love of Jesus, this moment that's supposed to be a life-giving moment turned into a moment where at least as a kid and as a teenager growing up in this church, you, you, you really felt guilty, judged. Even condemned by God and by the church in this moment because you were supposed to be quiet and sit still and contemplate your sin. It was as if the sentiment was, it's because you keep messing up that Jesus had to die on the cross. It's your fault. And I'm like, wow. And so you sit in this moment and we would read a scripture about Jesus breaking bread and sharing this cup around a table with with food and and a meal and his friends and his disciples talking together. But we were told, don't talk, don't even smile. Don't bother your neighbor. Be quiet. Think about what you've done. The church I grew up at, we would read scriptures and say, you know, this is Christ's body broken for you and his blood poured out for you and, and, and it was given for all of you, all of you. I mean, for whosoever believes in his name you know, will have eternal life. We read that scripture and those words of Jesus. But... But what we meant was Jesus came for those of us who looked like us and thought like us and talked like us and believed like us. Because if somebody walked in the room that what, didn't look like us or think like us, dressed like us, behave like us, we weren't real sure Jesus came for them. And here's the kicker. We thought we were so smart that we read the Bible just right that we had figured it out how to check the boxes and get to heaven. And because of that, we know that Jesus said he came for everyone, but we were pretty sure he, he just meant us. Because we had it right. That's how smart we were. Now, you know I'm exaggerating. And I deeply love the church I'm talking about that I grew up in, and I owe them my life. But I think you see my point. The words we say at the ta- table, it matters. It matters what we say here, because what we say here has an effect on what we believe, and it has an effect on how we behave. And if we're not careful about what we say in this moment at this table, at this table where, where a lot of tables in churches like this have the words, do this in remembrance of me, but yet we don't ever even remember Jesus. We just have it imprinted on the wood and it looks pretty. If we're not careful about what we say at this table, I think it can have a, an incredibly negative impact on our belief and on our behavior. And instead of drawing us closer to each other and closer to God, it can drive us further and further away. in fact, it has so often. But just so you don't lose heart, I want you to know that if we've had trouble getting this right, that we're not the only ones. In fact, the church from the very beginning of time has had trouble with this. There's a guy by the name of Paul we've talked about before. At one time, Paul was this guy who traveled around killing Christians and putting them in jail. But then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed literally everything. And this one who had worked so hard against the church became probably the church's greatest, you know, uh, asset. I mean, he was planning churches left and right. He wrote most of your New Testament. And about 17 years after Jesus had faced the cross, at this point, Paul had been a believer in Christ for about 14 years. He went to this town in Greece called Corinth. And he spent about a year and a half there, about 18 months. And during that time, he gathered a group of people, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, old and young. And he started this new community of believers in Jesus. This new new gathering called the way, this ecclesia of Jesus, this gathering of Jesus people who were coming around the teachings and the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And, And he started this church. And after he got it going, he, he went on to plant more churches and do more great things. At some point, though, some of the things that he taught them, that he showed them, and that he had, he had, he had, he had, he had tried to convey to them during his time there, they'd just gone sideways. And so I want us to, I want us to read just, just a few verses from Paul to this church in Corinth. I do want you to realize that as we read these words, we're reading someone else's mail. We're kind of eavesdropping in on Paul, talking to a specific church in a specific time, at a specific place with a specific problem. But even in that, we can learn something, and I want you to hear, especially at the end, what he says we say when we gather at this table, but you can't get there until you get this. This is what Paul says. We'll start in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. So if you have a device or a Bible, you want to open up or watch on the screen, you can see these words. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. In the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm Then good is done when you meet together. Now just pause right there, and I want you to think about how Paul starts this conversation. When you come together on Sunday as a church to worship Jesus, you are doing more harm than good. Ouch. Really. Paul says when you get together He's almost saying, I wish you wouldn't. Because what you're doing is causing more harm than than good. And, And what you need to know, in case you didn't know, but in Corinth, in that day and time, they didn't have a church building like this. They met in homes And they'd have to meet in the home of someone wealthy enough who had a large enough home where a a gathering of 30 or 40 or 50 or 80 people could get together, so it had to be a pretty wealthy member that would have everyone over for this meal. But he says whenever you do that, whenever you come over to house church and you you get everybody together to worship Jesus and, and share in what he's going to call the Lord's Supper in a moment, you're doing more harm than good. Verse 18. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. If you want to like circle this, underline this, highlight this on your device, this is the word. There are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. Of course, there, there has to be some divisions among you so you'll, you'll know who has God's approval and be recognized. What's the problem here? Paul is saying... Here's the number one problem. And by the way, if you want to know what I think, I think this is the number one problem in the entire New Testament. From Acts to Revelation, this is the problem with the church today. This has always been our problem. This is the biggest sin that no one talks about. And here it is. Paul says in one word, division. The problem is that when you come together to worship Jesus, who gave his life on the cross... For every single person, no matter who they are, what color their skin is, how much money they make, or what clothes they wear, when you come together, there are divisions among you. What in the world is going on? Because nothing could be farther from what Jesus wants from you. Jesus came, and Paul would say this over and over again, he came to create a new community of people, for which there were no dividers. Whether There was no Jew or Gentile. There were no male or female. There were no slave or free. There was nothing. We are all one in Christ. And any time any kind of division sinks into the, gets into the church for any reason, that is a major problem for Paul because in Christ Jesus, there should not be any divisions. The highest priority is not uniformity. The highest priority is unity. Verse 20. When you meet together, You're not even really interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some of you go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church? That's a strong three words. And shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I will certainly not praise you for this. What's the problem? Here's the problem. This has always been the problem. The problem is Jesus. Because Jesus, from the time he walked the planet until today, has always attracted all kinds of people to him. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. I can't do this, but he does this. He, he attracts those who are religious leaders and those who are the worst of the sinners. Everyone loves Jesus. Jesus. Jesus loves sinners and sinners love Jesus. Everyone is drawn to Jesus no matter who they are. And then when you get all those people into this new community, this ecclesia of Jesus, this, this gathering of people who are trying to follow Jesus, the problem is they're trying to follow Jesus in a new community while holding on to old ideas about what separates us. And Paul says, no! You can't hold on to those old ideas and be a part of this new community of Jesus. Not when you come over here and you gather at a table that reminds us of the time that Jesus lived and then he died on a cross. He was buried for three days and then he rose again. What are you talking about? There's no way you can be divided like that. Uh, That you would in any way seek to elevate one group above another group. And in this moment, when you come into this home, Why would you hurry over here? Why would you get with your friends over here and and, and eat real fast and and do the Lord's Supper before these guys over here have a chance to show up? And then you didn't even save anything from them. Now, I know this is a little bit foreign to us because when they did the Lord's Supper, when they enjoyed communion, it literally was communion. The word means fellowship, right? It was a time when they gathered in a home or ran a table, you know, eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and Biscuits. And they're talking about, I remember, and some of them did because they were there. I remember when Jesus did this, right? I remember when he did that. And as they're sharing in all this and they're remembering Jesus, uh, they take time to share this bread and this cup because one time, right before Jesus died, he did this with his disciples and he said, do this and do it and remember me until I come back and then we're going to do it together on the other side. But until that happens, you just keep doing this and remembering me. And so they did that, but now they're missing the point because they're doing all this, but they're not waiting on each other. They're holding on to old ideas about what separates them while trying to live into this new community. And what is the new community all about? We we just spent the last few weeks talking about this. Jesus, there's two things. Love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep reading your Bible, if you keep reading the gospel, Jesus doesn't stop there. He takes those two and puts them down into one. What does he say? Love each other as I have what? Loved you. This is what the new community of Jesus looks like. It's a group of people who are devoted above everything else in the entire universe to loving each other the way Christ has loved you. And how did Christ love you? He died for you. So, why would you ever elevate yourself or your ideas or your wants or your desires or your position or your power? or your entitlement, or your way above anyone else because, let's just be honest, that's the most selfish, unloving thing anyone could ever do. Verse 23, Paul tells them. And you know, by the way, whenever this letter was sent to Corinth, like, they didn't get email. There was no mass email. I don't know if you knew that. Some of you guys probably didn't. So one guy carried the letter, and then he would read the letter. And he wouldn't just read it like, you know, a monologue. He would would kind of act it out a little bit. And I would just have hated to be on the receiving end that day of these words. Because in verse 23, the church is gathered there, and this guy's reading this letter, these words of Paul to this church. And Paul says through this messenger, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night, it always comes back to here. If you ever get lost, always come back to here. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces. And he said, he said this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my Blood, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. you got to think this is not the first time Paul has told this church, taught this church, how to do this moment. This isn't the first time he showed them how to do this. This isn't even the first time he's written to them about all the stuff they just can't seem to get right. But he writes it again and he says... Don't you remember what I told you? What Jesus told me? That on the night he was betrayed is when he started this whole deal. And this is what it is. It's about his body that was broken for you. It's about his blood that was poured out for you. It's about Jesus who on the cross gave his life for you. And then verse 26, and this is the one I want you to circle, highlight, whatever, for every time, You eat this bread and drink this cup. You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. This is what we announce. This is what we proclaim. And by the way, this is what we say at the table. Whenever whenever we gather here every week, the reason we get together every week and what we say when we gather here every week is to, to proclaim, to say, to remind ourselves, and by the way, to tell the world around us, This, that Jesus died and he is coming again. And I'll tell you, the first time I read that, I wasn't impressed either. I can see some of you are like, yeah, that's great, Corey. That's the reason we came today. No, this is good. Why in the world would you proclaim someone's death? You wouldn't. No one does that. Unless the person who you proclaim died isn't dead anymore. Paul says, we gather to announce, to proclaim. What we say at the table is that Jesus died and he is coming again. He's dead, but there's the other part. That wasn't the whole deal. That wasn't the whole enchilada. He said, Jesus died, we proclaim his death, until he comes again. And in the middle of that statement is what you and I know happened, is that, yeah, he He died. He was dead as dead gets. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He wouldn't need it very long. On Sunday, he was raised again. And then he was seen by over 500 people over 40 days before he ascended back to heaven. And oh, by the way, people saw that too. And we knew that when he went away, when he ascended to heaven, that one day he would come again. And this is what we say. We say We believe. In the middle of a world that is full of darkness where shootings happen all around us, we say we believe in Jesus who died and who rose again, who came and who was coming again, who will make all things right, who will make all things new. If your hope is in this world, you don't have hope. But we have hope. What you say at this table, it changes everything. And if you believe... If you believe what you say you believe, it changes what you believe and it changes the way you behave. It changes, it is life changing to say what I just said, to say that we believe in Jesus who is alive and who is coming again. What you say matters. Some of you remember the story. I think it was January 15th, 2009, US Airways flight 1549. You remember the story? plane took off from LaGuardia. Captain was Chesley Sully Sullenberger. Called him Captain Sully. Within a few minutes of takeoff, he knew this flight was not going to go the way it was supposed to go. One word changed the trajectory of that plane. Birds. Canadian geese were migrating and flew by, and they experienced an unprecedented bird strike where both engines simultaneously went out And as soon as that happened, they didn't know at the time, but they had about four minutes. Four minutes to get that plane down safely. And there was one question that went through Captain Sully's mind in that moment How do I save every life on this plane? You can go back, even today, if you want to, and listen to the voice recorder. It's pretty short, and Captain Silly doesn't say much. You can hear the air traffic controllers trying to say, hey, we can, get you, we can get you to land over here in this airstrip, or we can get you over here to this runway. Where, where, where can you make it? You tell us. We will clear a way. Let us know where you want to land it, and we will help you get it down. And finally, he was like, look for us in the Hudson. And on what was a historic day, Captain Silly somehow was able to land that plane in the middle of that river. And not long after, he was trying to ask everybody he could find. Because people had been taken away by tugboats and, you know, different people coming out to rescue and save people. And he had one question burning in his mind. Is everyone accounted for? And when the news came, yes. All 155 passengers are alive and accounted for. He broke down. And I'll tell you, your Father in heaven, when he looked down planet earth and he saw that everything had gone wrong the sin had entered the picture there was one question that went through the mind and the heart of god how can we save everyone because he doesn't desire that anyone should perish and he sent jesus from heaven to earth and he lived a brief life and he died a violent death And he rose unexpectedly, and he rose victoriously. And the women that came to the tomb that morning were the first preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is risen. He is alive. And when we say that, that changes everything. What we say determines what we believe and how we behave. And my question for you today is what what does what you say about Jesus say about what you believe? What does how you behave, how you live your life, what does it say about Jesus? Because what we say about Jesus should determine, should change, should affect, should cause us to live differently, should challenge us to believe differently. Because what we believe. If we believe what we say, we believe that Jesus died. If what we say at the table is that he rose again and that he is coming again, it changes everything. So this morning we're going to sing a song in just a quick second. And I'm going to invite Chris and Kelsey Clark, one of our young couples, young families here at Riverside, to come and share communion with us. Kind of, we're trying to recover. It's not possible in a room like this, but... What that church in Corinth had, this, this family idea at a table, sharing and remembering Jesus together. It's kind of the way the whole, start, the whole thing started, you know. But, but I was reminded this week that almost every time you go to a restaurant, you hear people say, like we heard at Mango Mango that day, your table is ready. And the next two words the host or hostess says are almost always what? Follow me. Today our host can say those two words still because he's alive and we serve a risen savior that's what we say we say jesus is alive and jesus is coming again